This is a classic fairy tale called Beauty and the Beast. Now a long time ago, in a faraway land, there lived a merchant, and he lived in a fine city, and he lived in a nice house. And he had twelve children, he had six sons and six daughters. Now everything that he did went well. He made lots of money. But then his luck started to change. It all started when his house caught fire and burnt to the ground. And in there he lost everything, all his furniture, his paintings, but more importantly, his merchant books, his bank notes, his credit notes. All this was lost along with a large sum of money. Now, he worked with several other partners, but they were good men of business, but they were not good men. They were greedy, and they would cheat him as quick as look. Well, they, between them, owned several ships, and these ships sailed all over the ocean, bringing exotic goods from faraway lands, and taking things to those places to trade as well. But then the misfortune that was falling on the poor merchant, it got worse, because the ships were lost at sea. They were all lost or taken by pirates. Now he became so poor, he had to sell what little he had left. And the only property that he had was a small cottage out in the country, about a hundred leagues from the city. So the family had to go there. Now his daughters, who were pretty women, they had plenty of suitors, plenty of men who wanted to marry them. But they always played hard to get. They always kept them running, kept them on their toes, never accepted them. So now they thought, well, the older ones at least thought, well, now we can, we'll just get married. We'll marry one of these men that came wooing us. But they discovered that the men that came wooing them were not quite so keen on them now that they were poor. And so... They didn't find husbands as easily as they were expecting. And they became very bitter and very angry about how they'd lost all that money and they'd ended up being poor and they hated it. Well, the youngest daughter was by a long way the most beautiful of all the six. She was so beautiful that they called her Belle, which in French means beauty. So she was called beauty. Now, beauty was a very different girl from her sisters. She was devoted to her father. When she wept when he lost all his money, it wasn't because he had lost the money, it was because of him she wept, not for the money. Oh, no. But her sisters, no, they only cared about the money. Now one day, it seemed that the luck was maybe going to change, because news came to the merchant that one of his ships had come into port, one that was thought to be lost, and it had a rich cargo on board. 
So he set off to the city, and he said to his daughters before he left, Well, if this ship comes in, and if our fortune is restored, then what presents can I bring you back? Oh, dresses and jewels, said the five eldest daughters. Yes, they wanted fine things to wear. Well, he's turned to his youngest then, little beauty, and he said, And what would you like? And she said, Oh, I would like you to bring back the most precious thing in the world to me. And what's that? said her father. You, safe and well, she said. Oh, her sisters were mad when they heard that. <laughs> Little madam, they said, pretending to be so nice and making us look bad and selfish and greedy. Well, of course they were selfish and bad and greedy. But he said, no, no. It's not right that your sisters all want nice things, and, and you're a young woman. You, surely you would like nice things, too. Well, she said, mm, a rose, then. Just bring me back a rose. There's no roses in our garden, and I love roses so much, and I miss them, so just just a rose. Well, you see, she thought that would be easy enough. It was the middle of summer, and he could just pick a rose growing wild by the side of the road. He didn't have to spend money on it. So it was not something that would take him no time or effort, and it wouldn't cost him a thing either. And so he promised, and off he went to the city. Now, when he got there, he discovered that those greedy partners of his Seems he had disappeared from the city. They thought that he was dead, or at least that's what they told him anyway. And they had sold all the property, all the cargo in the ship. Everything was dished out between them. And they, there was nothing left for him. Well, he tried to reason with them. They wouldn't listen. So he ended up having to go to court. And a suit was brought against them, which he eventually won. But it took six months. And the thing is, at the end of it, the only people that pocketed the money from it was the lawyers. There was very little money came his way. He was as poor as ever he was. His hope of getting out of that hole had gone, had vanished. He was still in as much debt and as poor as ever. Oh, he rode back miserably, and it was the middle of winter now. He'd set off in summer. Now he rode on and on for a while, and the night came, and there was nowhere to shelter. There was not one house, not even a hut by the side of the road. And so he went into a forest. Now the snow was falling thickly, and it was cold. And the wolf started to howl, and he crawled inside a hollow tree, and he spent the night there, shivering and shaking. And in the morning he had to go and find his horse that had wandered off to seek shelter itself. Well, he eventually found his horse, and they set off. Now, he wasn't exactly sure where they were, and the snow having fallen on the ground had hidden any roads or paths that there had once been. But he found a bit of a clearing, and he started to follow it. And to his amazement in front of him he could see an avenue of trees. 
But the things that was so remarkable about this wasn't the trees themselves. It was the fact that there was no snow on them, and the trees were in bloom. It was like the middle of summer, although all around them was cold and frozen and covered with snow, but not a fleck of snow had fallen in that place. It was under an enchantment. So he rode up through the avenues of trees, and he came to the most beautiful palace he had ever seen in his life. It was stunning. And he found the stable there, and he stabled his horse, and then he went up, up the beautiful flight of marble stairs, and in through the front door of the palace. He called, but nobody answered. He went from room to room, and each room he went through seemed to be more beautiful than the one he'd just come out of. It was sumptuous. It was beautiful beyond words. Well, then the man came into a room, and he saw that there was a fire blazing, and there was a sofa pulled up next to it. So he sat himself down on the sofa, and he went to sleep. And he slept there for, well, he didn't know how long, but what woke him up was hunger. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for more than a day. Well, when he woke up, to his amazement, there was a small table laid out next to him, and it was covered in food. I mean, it wasn't that small. It was a decent-sized table, I suppose. But, oh, the food on it was you know, the likes of which he'd never seen before in his life. And he sat down, and he ate, and he ate, and he drank wine, and it was so good. Oh, it was so lovely. He didn't want to stop eating. And he ate rather a lot, rather more than he would normally eat, because it was so good, and he was so hungry. And then he sat down back on that lovely, comfortable sofa again, in front of the nice, roaring fire. He'd never seen a soul still, never seen who brought the table and the food. But with all that lovely food and the lovely warm fire, he fell asleep. And he slept there for a good few hours. And then he woke up again. And he discovered that there was another table placed alongside him, not the one that he'd eaten his meal from, but a smaller one. And it was covered in lovely, delicate cakes and sweetmeats and candied fruits. And there was liqueurs there as well, of all beautiful tastes of fruit and such. And he sat and he, he ate more of these and he drank and it was just so wonderful. Well, he decided that he would go and again have a look around and he went outside and seen if there was anyone in the grounds, but he couldn't find anyone. And then a thought started to enter his head, and, you know, it was a bit of a stupid thought, really. But he thought, hmm, there doesn't seem to be anybody here. And this castle, well, it's quite something, this beautiful palace. And, I mean, 
there's no, there's no snow here. It's middle of winter, but all the flowers are in bloom. The air is heavy with the perfume of them. It must be, must be enchanted, but maybe it's meant for me. Maybe it's compensation for all that I've suffered. Maybe, maybe this is my palace. I could move in here. And then he started to think of, oh, how happy his children would be, especially his daughters, especially the five elder ones. They would love it. There was so much treasure in it and beautiful things and lovely rooms. And he was just starting to think that, yes, he would come back with his family, find the place, and live here for the rest of his days, which was foolish of him, of course, like anybody was going to leave a palace like that just lying around. But anyway, in this thought that had distracted him, he then looked up and he saw the most beautiful rose bush, and it was in full bloom. Now it was midwinter. There was no flowers, but in this garden there were plenty. And he th remembered the, the request of his beautiful young daughter, young beauty. She had asked for a rose, and so he picked one. And as the moment that he picked that rose, he had a terrible roar behind him, and he turned around, and there, towering above him, was a terrible beast, oh, frightful to look at. And he said, How dare you steal my roses, he said. After all that I have done for you, after all I've given you, after all the generosity that I've shown to you, and this is how you repay me, you will die for it. Well, the poor merchant started to shake. He was terrified. I'm sorry, he said. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't realize that I didn't know you were here. I didn't realize that such a small thing would cause such great offense. Oh, please, please spare me. Please have mercy. Why should I, he said. You deserve to die for what you've done. Oh, but, but, but please... And he begged him, and he told him the story of his ruin, and also of his beautiful young daughter, who had asked for the rose, and this is why he had picked it as a gift for beauty. And he told his story, and he kept mentioning beauty as well. She was always there in the story. He hoped that this terrible beast would feel sorry for him and let him go, especially with a if the story of his beautiful young daughter might touch his heart. Well, it worked. The beast cooled down his temper, and he said, Well, okay, in that case, I will let you go home, and I will spare your life for the moment. But you have to go home and tell your daughters that one of them must come in your place and give herself to me. But you must do it willingly. You cannot force her. She must come of her own free will. And you must describe to her exactly what I look like. Do not leave one thing out. She must know exactly what she is coming to.
And if one of them agrees willingly to come in your place and be here with me, then you will go home. I will let you live. But if not, then you have to come back at the end of one month and I will kill you. And if you don't come back, I will come to your house and kill everyone. Well, the poor merchant, he shook in his boots and he said, I, I, I accept, I promise, I will, I will. Well, said the beast, there is supper prepared. Go back in, there is a meal for you, and there is a bed. And in the morning... When the sun rises, you will hear a golden bell ring, and then you must go downstairs and have breakfast, and then go home. Your horse will be ready for you outside. So, without another word, the beast turned around and stomped off. Now, the poor merchant, he went back in, and there was a meal set out for him, just as the beast had said. But he had no appetite now to eat. He was too frightened and too worried about his daughters. But he thought that maybe the beast might be watching him, and if he didn't eat, he might take offence at that as well. So he ate. He picked up the things, and he ate a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Now, as he was coming to the end of his meal, the beast came again into the room where he was and said, I have just come back to remind you of what you have promised. You must go back and tell your daughters about me. Describe me, hide nothing. And only if one of them will come of their own free will may you return here with her. And if not, you must come back yourself at the end of one month and face the consequences. And remember, you cannot avoid me by just staying at home. That will end even worse for you. Good night. And he turned around and went out. Well, the poor man, he found his way to the bedroom and there was a bed prepared for him. And he climbed in and after a while he managed to fall asleep. But he was awake before the sun rose, and he got up and dressed, and he had the bell tinkling. And he rushed down the stairs, and there was a beautiful breakfast laid out for him. So he sat down and he ate, and he went out into the garden, and he saw the rose lying on the path where it had fallen, and it was as fresh as the moment it had been picked. And he picked it up, and it still smelt so sweet and beautiful. He tucked it in his belt. And there was his horse. Now he climbed up on his horse, and it set off at huge speed, far faster than that horse had ever run in its life before. This was quite incredible. And also, it didn't matter what he did with the reins. The horse seemed to know exactly where it was going, paid no attention to his attempts to turn it this way or that. And on it went at a huge speed until he was right back at his own cottage. Well, he got down off the horse, and he went to greet his family. Now, his family didn't recognize him because the beast had given him a lovely fur-lined cloak to wear to keep warm. 
so he was dressed in fine clothes as well that the beast had left out for him. Now, they didn't recognize him to start with, but then they realized it was the father, and they were so happy. He'd been away for six months, remember. And then he said, well, I am sorry, but I I wasn't able to get you your dresses and your jewels, my dear. Things did not work out well for me at all. But I am, I do have one thing here, though, and he drew the rose from his belt, and he handed it to beauty. Take it, he said, though you don't know what it has cost. Oh, that's just lovely, said one of the elder sisters. She gets her present, but we get nothing. Oh, if you knew what this cost, said the man. Oh, if you knew, if only you knew what this cost me, you would not be saying such things. What do you mean? Well, he told them the whole story, and he described the beast to them in every detail, and his terror. Well, he said that one of you must go, must go to him, otherwise I have to go and die. We have one month. Well, she should go, said the oldest sister, pointing at Beauty. It's all her fault anyway. She got you into this trouble with her, I want a rose. And, I mean, knowing that, where could you get a rose in the middle of winter? Well, said Beauty, it, it is my fault. But when I asked for a rose, it was summertime. It would have been an easy thing to get. I did not know that it was going to cause all this trouble, but I accept that it is my fault and my responsibility, and I will not see my father die. I will go to the beast. Well, all our elder sisters were happy. They were all jealous of her beauty anyway, so they were quite happy to see her in the back of her. But please, dear sisters, she said, please let us not argue. In this month that we have left together, please let us be friends. Hmm. Well, those jealous sisters of her, they weren't the sort of people to be friends with anyone, really, but they put a face on it, they pretended. And... She never mentioned beasts or palaces or anything like that, but one day they heard a horse neighing outside and stamping at the ground, and there was a horse from the beast's palace. And they knew then that it was time to go. So, with many tearful farewells, Beauty climbed up on the horse behind her father, and the two of them set off, and the horse ran at remarkable speeds, and again it didn't respond to the reins, it knew exactly where it was going. It went straight back to the beast's palace, and Beauty and her father climbed up the beautiful stairs, and went in through the door, and from one room to another. They came to the great drawing-room where there was the fire was lit, and they sat down in front of it. And then there was a meal. So they sat and they ate. They were hungry by this time. Now, after they had finished eating, they could hear a commotion. 
and a roaring and a grumbling. And they could hear the beast coming from one room into another, getting nearer and nearer, until it came into the room, and Beauty saw it for the first time, and she hung on to her father. She clinged to him in terror. He put his arms around her to calm her. The beast stopped in the doorway, and Beauty conjured up all her courage and all her strength, and she left her father's embrace, and she walked over to the beast, and she stood in front of him, and she said, Good evening, sir. I am thank you for your kind hospitality and the generosity to which you have shown us. I am the girl whose fault this is. I am the one who asked for the rose, and it is, it is up to me to make amends, to make things better. And what do you think I am going to do with you once your father has gone, said the beast. I don't know, said Beauty. That is for you to decide, and for you only to know. That is well said, said the beast. He admired this girl's courage. But come, he said, there are rooms ready for you, and in the morning there will be a horse ready to take your father back home. But first, I have gifts to give to your family. Come with me. So they followed him, and they went into a room that seemed to be a treasury. There was cupboards full of precious gems, rubies and diamonds and sapphires and emeralds, all glinting there beautifully. And there was gold as well, chests and chests full of gold. And there was wardrobes full of beautiful dresses. Well... You may take whatever you want to please your family, he said. I have two chests here. Fill them, and you can take them with you. Well, good night, said the beast, and he turned around and left them. Well, they couldn't believe it. I mean, the treasures that was in that room was unbelievable. And Beauty started to gather out the most beautiful dresses, which she thought her sisters would love, and also beautiful precious gems as well. And she piled them into these chests. And then she stopped and thought, and she said, Father, I think it would be wise if we put all these dresses and jewels back. We should take gold instead. You see... You can buy dresses with the gold. And the jewels, well, you won't know what they're worth. You could take them to a jeweler to sell, but they might cheat you. But gold you know the value of. So, let us empty the chests and fill them with gold. That's a good idea, said the father. Wonderful idea. So they emptied all the jewels and all the dresses out of the chest, and they started to fill it with gold. But, you know, these were no ordinary chests. And no matter how much gold they poured into it, it always seemed to find room for more. 
So it ended up that they had huge quantities of gold, and then they started putting in the dresses and the jewels as well. And there was plenty of room for all of these things. But then the father had a thought, and he said, Oh, the beast's just playing with us. He's going to cheat us. Why? said Beauty. Well, look, they're so heavy, there's no way we can lift these chests. We can't carry them. No, said Beauty, I, I, I don't think so. The beast seems to be an honest man, or whatever he is, but he has an honest heart. I don't think he would trick us in this way. No, let us fasten the chests now, and leave them, and let's see what happens in the morning. Well, the next thing that they knew, the bell rang. It was breakfast time, and they hadn't even had any sleep that night. They had been too busy gathering up all these golden jewels and dresses, and fine things for her sisters and for her brothers as well. Now, this was the time of parting. They had a breakfast, and then there was much tears, as the man had to go out, and there was a horse ready for him, and there was a second horse there as well, and to his amazement, on the horse's back was the two chests. Well, he said good-bye to his daughter, he climbed on the horse, and the horses ran away at such speed that they were soon out of sight. Now, <clears throat> Beauty went back into the palace, and she sat by the side of the fire, weeping for the loss of her father. But then she decided to go and explore the palace a bit. So she went into one of the rooms there, and it was a beautiful room full of musical instruments. Now, Belle, or Beauty, I should say, loved instruments. She loved to play, and she could play many, many instruments. Well, she sat there and she played and she played. The one that she loved the most was the harp, because it matched her voice better. And then, after she'd played for a while... There was another meal set out for her. She never saw who set out the meals. They just appeared. So she sat down and she ate. And then she went off to explore more. And she came into a room that was filled with books. Thousands and thousands of beautiful books. And her heart jumped with joy because she loved to read. She loved books. But her father had had to sell what books was managed to be saved from the fire. And so she hadn't had a book for a while. And she looked over all the titles and there were so many things of interest there that she took ones down off the shelf and she read bits and put them back and then went to look at another one. There was pectier books with beautiful illustrations in them as well. She thought I could live here for a hundred years and I would still have plenty to occupy my mind and things to do. And then she went for supper. 
Now, she was eating her supper, when she could hear the noise of the beast coming through the rooms, getting closer and closer, until the beast came in, and said, Good evening, Beauty. Now, Beauty was a bit scared, because she hadn't been alone with the beast before, and she said, Good evening, sir. Don't call me sir, he said. Just call me beast. Uh, well, good evening, beast. Uh, and how are you? Oh, I'm fine. So, do you like my palace? Oh, yes, she says. Oh, it's beautiful. Do you think that you could be happy here, Be uh, Beauty? Uh, oh, oh, yes, she said. Uh, there are so many wonderful things here that it would be very hard not to be happy in a place such as this. Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> uh, well, <clears throat> in, uh, <clears throat> in that case, said the beast, obviously a bit embarrassed by what he was about to say. <clears throat> well, in, <clears throat> in that case, uh, uh, beauty, um, will you be my wife? Oh, oh, eh, she said, and she thought to herself, oh, no, I'm lost. And it was as though he knew what she thought, because he said, oh, oh, no, 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 you're not, no. Uh, just say yes or no. Uh, no, beast, she said. <clears throat> Very well. Well, good night, beauty, he said, and he left the room. Beauty was a bit shaken by that. But... She went to her bed, and then she slept, and she had the most beautiful dream. She dreamt that there was an incredibly handsome young man was standing in front of her, and he said, Please, you have to help me. And remember that things are not always what they seem. And please help to free me from the image that I have to live in. And please, I love you. I love you so tenderly. And she looked at him and she said, Oh, oh, you are such a sweet, sweet darling man, she said. I love you too. And they took each other's hands. But... How, how can I help? You must free me. But how can I free you? Free from what? You must free me by being kind and being grateful for generosity and for being able to see beyond what you see. I, I don't understand, she said. And then... She seemed to be waking. The figure of the young man disappeared. And instead there stood a beautiful woman, tall and stately. And she said, Now everything is in your hands, beauty. And this is a reward for the goodness that is within you. And you must learn to not judge by appearance, but be of good heart, and follow your heart, and you will be rewarded beyond your dreams. 
and then she woke up. Now, the next day she went out for a walk in the garden. She came to a place where orange trees grew, and she recognized it from the dream. This was the place where I saw the young man. I recognize it. How strange. She went into the palace, and she went again from room to room, and in one room hanging from a chandelier there was a bracelet. She took the bracelet down, and she opened it and looked inside, and there was a miniature portrait of the young man that she had seen in her dreams. Here it was, real. She slipped the bracelet on her wrist, even though it didn't belong to her. She took it. And then she went to explore more rooms. She came into a long gallery that was lined with beautiful paintings. And there, at the end on the wall, smiling down at her, was a painting of a handsome prince. And this prince was the same man that she had seen in her dreams. Well, she couldn't believe it. Was he real? Was he a prisoner there? Was the beast holding him hostage or captive somehow? Was he the beast's prisoner? How could she free him? Well, she didn't know. It was a strange day. But she went in, and again more food was prepared. And she spent a happy day, mostly in the garden. And then in the evening, when she was sitting to her supper, again the beast came in, asked how she was. Very politely, she said that she was fine. Then was she enjoying the place still? Oh, yes, very much. And beautiful gardens. In the middle of winter, but everything is still in bloom and flowering, and the air is warm. It's a very strange place. Yes, he said, it is. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> beauty, uh, will you marry me? No beast, she said, gently as she could. Oh, well, well, good night, then, and the beast left. She went to her bed, and she dreamt, and again she dreamt about the handsome young man who came to her, and he said, oh, be oh, beauty, how can you be so cruel? Cruel? Why? What have I done? Oh, you reject love when it's given to you. Oh, don't be so hard-hearted. Open your heart and open your eyes as well. Well, the two of them, they, they seemed to talk together and laugh, and then she woke up. It was pleasant dreams. They were happy, but she didn't know what they meant. Now... She went round and looked in more rooms, and in one room it was filled with beautiful, beautiful songbirds that sang so sweetly. She found herself saying out loud, Oh, I wish this room was next to my own bedroom. And the next thing she knew, when she opened the door from that room, it led into her bedchamber. 
But how was that even possible? Her room was on the other side of the palace. And yet here it was, right next to the room with the birds, and there was also a little shutter in her room that she could open to hear them sing and close it when she tired of it. She went into a snother room, and there was an aviary in there as well that was full of beautiful coloured parrots and macaws and cockatoos and cockatiels and all these exotic beautiful birds. And they all spoke, and they all said, Good evening, or your meal is ready, madam, and things like that. One even said, Kiss me, kiss me. Well, obviously she didn't kiss the parrot, but she was delighted with these birds, and they followed her around, and they spoke to her. And then she went into another room, and in this room, it was all full of apes, of all descriptions, apes and monkeys. And she thought that they were absolutely lovely. They all bowed and curtsied when she came in. It was incredible. And she said, hmm, maybe I could have some of you for companions. And two big she-apes came striding forwards, dressed in beautiful gowns. And they curtsied low, and they acted as maids-in-waiting to her. And then two marmosets came, all beautifully dressed as page-boys, and they carried the train of her gown. Well, a great baboon came over, and he bowed low, and took her hand and led her into the room where a meal was laid for them. Now, Beauty ate while all the apes stood around and waited on her, and she tried to ask them questions about the palace and, and about this man that she kept dreaming about, who was in the painting, but they couldn't speak. And the only thing that they were interested in was serving her. So she found out nothing. Now, later, the apes did a little comedy for her, a little play. And the parrots and the macaws, they spoke the lines for the apes. And it was such a delight. And Beauty was so happy and so... She thought it was so funny and wonderful to see. And then, after supper, in came the beast, as always. And again he said, uh, Will you be my wife, Beauty? No, beast, she said. Oh, well, good night, Beauty. And he left again. Well, that night in bed, again she still dreamt about her wonderful prince, and he seemed to be getting annoyed, saying that she wasn't going to help him to break free if she carried on being like that, and she must remember grat with gratitude kindness is done to her, and also to recognize one who really loves her. She didn't know what any of this meant. Now in the morning, when she woke up, had her breakfast, she walked around more of the palace. It was massive, this place. It was huge. And 
Her ladies-in-waiting, her apes, followed her, and the little marmosets holding her dress went behind her, and the baboon escorted her. They came to a huge room, which was dark, and it had four windows, which were all shuttered. So she opened them, and to her amazement, when she opened the one, she saw that below her there was a theatre, and there was people in the audience, and actors came on stage, and an orchestra played, and there was a play held, and everyone enjoyed it, including Beauty. She adored it. She found herself sitting there like she was in a box in the theatre, and she was so excited to see all these people and hear them chattering away. But eventually the play ended, and she hoped she might be able to speak to some of them, but it just went dark. And that was that. So she told the beast that night when he came to her at supper time all about this wonderful theatre she'd found. You like that sort of thing, do you? Says the Oh, very much, she said. I had a wonderful time. The theatre was just so magical, so wonderful. Mm. Beauty, <clears throat> will, uh, will you will you marry me? No, beast, she said. Oh, well, good night, beauty, and away he went. Now, she tried out the other windows in the theatre and discovered that some of them led to places like fairs and other ones showed her all sorts of things from all over the world, foreign royal weddings and processions and all sorts of things. It was remarkable. It was just like being there. Well... This carried on for a while, and that night she had a dream after again she'd refused to marry the beast. She dreamt that the prince was now very angry, and that the beast was there for the first time as well, and that the prince said, you love this beast more than you love me, and he chomped to the beast with a dagger in his hand, and the beast just stood there and made no attempt to defend himself and the dagger was raised to be plunged into the beast's heart, and Beauty shouted, No, stay your hand! Do not strike! Please, he is a good and kind and loving friend. A friend, said the prince, is that all I am to you? Well, you are an unfaithful friend if you mean to attack the one that has been so kind to me in the world. You must not do that. So he laid the knife down, and she woke up, rather upset with everything. And then she started to think, Oh, I wish I was home. So that day, when the beast came to her first at supper time, he again said, Beauty, will, will you marry me? No, beast, she said. What is wrong with you, Beauty? You, you seem sad. I, I miss my family, she said. Can I go home? Well, when she said that, it looked to her like she'd stuck a knife in the beast, the look on his face. 
he looked hot. Well, I, I just want to see my mother and father and my brothers and sisters. And I, I promise, I promise I will come back at the end of two months. Well, said the beast, I can't stop you from going. And I would never try to. But please know this. I can let you go home for two months, but if you do not come back at the end of the two months, it will be my death. It will be the finish of me. I will die. So, you must promise me to come back. Promise not to desert me. Never leave me. Oh, but I promise, she said. I promise I do. Well, he said, "'Tis easily done. "'All you have to do, you, you don't have to take the horses,' he says, "'you don't have to make the long journey. You know, "'All you have to do is wear this ring.' "'And he gave her a ring to put on. "'Turn it on your finger before you go to sleep "'and say that you wish. "'I wet and say, I wish to be back in my palace.' and to be with my beast again, and it will bring you here safe and sound. But remember, if you do not come back after two months, if you break your promise, it will be my death. Well, she was rather shocked, but she promised faithfully that she would. And then he said, Come with me, and he led her back to that treasury, and he said, There are four chests here. Fill them with as much riches as you like to take home to your family. Well, she did. She filled the four chests full of riches, and then she went to her bed. And in the morning, when she woke up, she was woken by a voice rather than a bell ringing, and it was a voice that she recognized. It was her father's voice. She chomped out of bed and got dressed hurriedly and ran out, and there was her father and mother. And she ran into his arms, and he threw his arms around her, and he was so happy to see her. Well, everyone was delighted, and there, standing on the floor in front of them, was four chests full of treasure— the house that they lived in now was not the cottage that they'd been in before, but a good-sized house, because of all the wealth that he had brought back from the beast's castle. But it still wasn't anything like as spectacular as the palace that the beast lived in. But it was a nice house, and they were dressed well, and doing well in business again, he said. <laughs> now, she explained everything to him of what had happened, and also about the beast, and how he always asked her to marry him, and how she always refused, and about all the strange dreams that she had. And she was... She had this dream, she remembered the night before, of the, the prince was lying on the ground, sobbing, and when she asked him, 
why he was crying. He said it was because she had signed his death warrant. And she said she didn't know what he meant by that. And he said, don't leave me, don't abandon me. And she'd said, well, I'll put off going home for a few months, and I'll ask the beast to release you from wherever he keeps you imprisoned. But he just carried on weeping and said, oh, it wasn't like that. It was different. It was love. It was all sorts of things that she didn't understand. And her father listened to all of these dreams and everything that she had to tell him about the beast. And he said, you know, it seems that these dreams are all telling you that you should say yes to the beast and marry him because he obviously loves you very much and also he may not be what he seems to be i mean we don't know but if i was you my advice i would give to you my daughter would be to say yes when he asks you to marry him again well it was certainly something to think about now her sisters were still jealous of her, and very jealous when she described how she lived in this beautiful, magical castle, you know, this beautiful palace. Well, that was just their way. But the time passed, and it came to the time when she should be going home, back to the palace, but she kept forgetting to say good night and goodbye to her parents and to her brothers and sisters before going to bed and turning the ring and wishing to be back. And every night she decided she would do it the next day, and then the next evening, and the next evening came, and she forgot again and went to bed. And then she remembered, and it was too late, because she hadn't said goodbye to her parents and her brothers and sisters. So time passed, and still she was there, and the two months came, and they were just about to go as well. The time had run out, and it was just about to be into new time, more time. Well, she went to sleep that night, and she had a dream, the first dream she'd had since she went back to the house. She never remembered any of the dreams, or never had any vivid dreams, and never dreamt about the prince. But this time she dreamt that the beautiful lady was standing there, and she could see on the ground there was a path. And when she followed the path, there was the beast lying dead. And she was so upset. And the beautiful lady said to her, You must hurry back. It may be too late. He may be dead already. But you have to come now. You've broken your promise. You've broken your word. You must return, or the beast will be dead. She woke up so afraid and so horrified that she turned the ring around on her fingers, and she said, I wish to be back home in my palace and to be with my beast. And as soon as she said that, she fell into a deep sleep. And the next morning she woke up with the sound of the bell ringing again familiar sound, and there she was, in her room in the palace, with all her ape servants around her, all bowing and curtsying, and her beautiful coloured birds flying around as well, saying good morning to her and welcome back. Now, 
She got up and she breakfasted. And she went from room to room of the palace. Everything was just as she'd left it. But there was no sign of the beast. She was getting very worried. And when evening came, there was still no sign of him. And she became very, very worried indeed. So she went down to the garden to search for him. And she went all over. It was starting to get dark by this time. And she searched, and she searched, and she spent three hours searching for the beast, but no sign of him, until she recognized a path. And the reason she recognized the path was because it was the one she had seen in her dream. And she followed it, and she almost fell over the beast who was lying on the ground. And, oh, she said, a beast, and he's dead, and she went down on the ground, and she hugged him, and she put her hand on his heart, and she felt a slight movement. The beast was still alive, only just, but still alive, and she wept over him, and she ran to the fountain, and she gathered up a handful of water, and she trickled it, sprinkled it gently onto his face, and his eyes opened, and he said, You came back. You returned to me. Yes, yes, she said. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I, 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 I'm so sorry. I thought I lost you, and I love you, and I, I never knew that I loved you until I thought you were dead. You Love me, said the beast, me, a hideous monster, a, a horrible-looking beast. You can love that. Oh, but I do, she said, I do love you. Come, let's go back to the palace and have some supper. Yes, he said, yes, let's, let's go. So she helped him up on his feet. He was still very weak. And she helped him up the steps and into the room. And there was a supper laid for two people. And they sat down and they ate. And the beast seemed to be revived by this. And they talked together happily and merrily. And then the beast got up and said good night. And he walked to the door, as he had done so many times. But he stopped, and he turned around, and he said, Beauty, will you marry me? And she said, Yes, beast. Well, suddenly there was the sound of cannon being fired outside, like in celebration, and fireworks sparkled and lit up the, the whole night sky, and there was fireworks, there was rockets and Roman candles and all sorts of things, and some of the fireworks even spelt out in flame the names Beauty and the Beast, and she heard the sound of a carriage approaching, and when she looked over towards the beast, the beast wasn't there any more, but in his place was the handsome prince, the one in her dreams. And the carriage stopped outside, and the door opened, and in came the beautiful, tall, stately, regal lady, and she went over 
to Beauty, and she said, Oh, Beauty, my dear, my darling girl, you have broken the enchantment. Your courage and your faithfulness and your love has broken a wicked spell that was laid on my son, the prince. And now it is undone, and here he is in front of you in his true form. And the two of you will be married, and you will rule, and you will prosper in this land. And may, may I, as queen, offer you my blessings. Well, she went over and she took the prince's hands and she looked into his eyes. She recognized them from the dream, but she also recognized him from being the beast. Not by his appearance, but by his heart, by his manner, by the good, kindly, and gentle sparkle in his eyes. And they were married and ruled that kingdom in peace and happiness for many a long day. And their love was so strong and so true and so pure that people are still talking about it to this day. And yet they still tell the story like I've just done about beauty and the beast. <laughs>